If you have your Bible with you, would you turn with me, please, to the first book of Chronicles? First Chronicles, please. We're going to read from First Chronicles chapter 29. And the title of saving is Lessons to Learn from an Aging King. Lessons to Learn from an Aging King. First Chronicles 29 verse 10. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thy Lord, God of Israel our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee and sojourners. As were all our fathers, our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. O Lord, all this store that we have prepared to build thee a house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand. And is all thine own. Keep your Bible open there. But let's pray in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. And we praise you. And we bless you. We adore you. We magnify you. And we love you. And Father, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for his precious shed blood. And we thank you, Father... You have placed your spirit within each and every one of us who knows him. You have drawn us to him. And we beheld the lamb one day who saved us, cleansed us from all our sin. We pray, Father, whether it's those who are in this building or those, Lord, who are watching live or later on, Father, will you bless each and every one. We think of those, Father, who are ministering in other churches and we ask you, Lord, that you would, Lord, bless them. Lord, as they've left this place to go and minister in various places tonight in song, in testimony, and in the preaching of your word. Lord, would you keep your hand upon each and every one of them. We also thank, Lord, of Laura in Poland that you'd keep your hand on her on this missionary trip as well. So, Father, to that end, we give you glory. We give you praise. We give you honor. Lord, you are the one who gives us all strength. So we pray for strength for our mind and our body. And strength, Father, we pray that we would serve you with all of our heart. We love you, and there's none like you. There's none beside you. There is no close second, Lord. Thou alone art God, and we worship you. In Jesus' name we come and pray these things. Amen. David... Is an old man, the king of Israel. 
David has had it in his heart to build the Lord God, Jehovah, Yahweh, a tabernacle, a temple for him to dwell in. David's heart was in the right place. And David wanted to do this as in a way of adoration and love for the Lord. But the very request and want of David's heart was refused. Isn't it amazing to think that God would tell you no? We always think that God's going to say yes. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes we think God has not answered our prayers when he has and he said no. But when he says no, he always has something else for his, in his will for those to whom he has said no to. So the idea here is that David has come and David hasn't fallen out with the Lord over this. David has yielded his spirit, bowed his heart, give up his own will for the will of God. And he said, well, Lord, if that be your will, thy will be done. Will you just turn with me, please, to 1 Chronicles chapter 28, just across the page. And it says in verse 1, And David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course, and the captains over the thousands and captains over the hundreds and the stewards, all the substance and possession of the king and of his sons with the officers and with the mighty men, with the valiant men unto Jerusalem. That's some gathering, isn't it? Notice what it says in verse 2. Then David the king stood up upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. As for me, I had it in mine heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made ready for the building. But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build me a house for my name because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed blood. It's not that David wasn't forgiven here. He was forgiven. David is called by the Lord a man after mine own heart. But here God knows that David, in the eyes of many, may be the wrong person to be in that position. And so this is the first time in history of Israel, first time in the history, right the whole way down, it happens in our kings and queens right to this very day. It's whenever the succession of the firstborn takes over. The succession of of someone from the loins of the king or the queen. This is where it starts. And notice this here, David said, It says he stood up. Notice, the king, then David, the king stood up upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. As for me, I had it in mine heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, or for the footstool of our God, and had made ready for the building. David is old. David is weak. You have to understand, I haven't time to read all of this, but if you were to go, uh, when you go home, read 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter 1, and you'll find that David is old and he's cold in bed. Now, nowadays you have an electric blanket, or you have a duvet, or maybe a water, hot water bottle. In those days, they got David, a young fair maiden, and she was to lie and cuddle him in bed to keep him warm. And you'll read that in 1 Kings chapter 1. Brother, that is not an excuse, by the way. <laughs> that is not an excuse. 
But that, when you'll read in 1 Kings chapter 1, what they had to do with David, he was frail. The idea here is, and then David the king stood up upon his feet. The Holy Spirit has put it in the, in the mind and the pen, as it were, of the chronicler for a reason. Actually, that one verse, that little line, and David the king stood up upon his feet. It's a very dramatic scene in the scripture. It's not just a matter, he gets up and there he is because he was so old. He was so weak. He was frail. And those things that we talked and laughed about, and that's the truth. That's how frail he was. He couldn't keep heat in his body. And so here we have David getting up, standing up, using his strength to bless his son Solomon to be the king. Now, when you read 1 Kings chapter 1, you'll read how David had other sons and his other sons wanted to be the king as well. But you'll find that it was David says, no, it's to be to Solomon, my son. And so you'll, you'll read the full story in 1 Kings chapter 1. Now we're seeing David here, old and frail, and the, the, it's the Holy Spirit is looking at him and putting it on the pen of the chronicler because it's such a dramatic scene to behold. You see all of these men of, of stewards and, and princes and captains and officers and valiant and mighty men of Israel all gathered together. There's no way David was not going to get on his feet before God to be a witness to these men. I wonder what it takes sometimes for you and I to be a witness for God. Sometimes you have to use every ounce that's in you. Sometimes you have to grasp hold of the last touch of courage that you have. You have to pray hard for the last part of grace left in you to stand before men. David here, he struggled because he was old, but he got upon his feet. David stood before men, but listen, it wasn't the men David was concerned about. David knew he stood before God. David stood before men, but it wasn't the men that David was concerned about. David knew he'd seen them, just like I would look at you. But he was concerned more. His conscience was about the Lord. David's mind, David's heart to build this tabernacle, uh, this temple for the Lord. David's heart and mind was, was rejected, as it were, by the Lord. But the Lord was about to do something better for David. He was conscious of the presence of the Lord. It's like in 1 Kings 17, we're told in verse 1 uh, that Elijah the prophet walks into King Ahab in the northern kingdom of Israel. This wicked, cruel king, and he says, knowing that he would have his head cut off, he'd have him cut to pieces and sent to four quarters of Israel. And notice what it says, 1 Kings 17 and 1, Elijah declares, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, There shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Elijah went in and was conscious of King Ahab, conscious of the dangers. He was conscious of who he was standing before, but he was more conscious that his God was with him. More conscious that he stood before God than he stood before man. Here's a little question. I've just written this conscious of underneath this. Are you conscious of God. Are you conscious of God? Now, when we're all together here and we're singing some lovely hymns, maybe the love of God is greater far 
We can sense the drawing near of the Holy Spirit of God. We can sense the anointing, settled presence coming in. And it's corporate on all of us. And generally, we're, we're, we're sensing that closeness of the Spirit. But are you conscious of God? Not in these moments. Are you conscious of God in your life? Are you conscious of God when you're with your workmates? And are you conscious of God when you're with your friends? Are you conscious of God that whether you're in school or university or wherever you are, are you conscious or are you more conscious of them and their talk and their language and the men out at the weekend and their conquests that they've had, whatever women they've, they've been with? Or are, you, are you conscious of God that you cannot stand that company? Are you conscious when you say wrong about someone, your brother or your sister? Are you conscious when you're in a place and they're slandering someone? Are you conscious of God in those times? Are you conscious of God when you go to do something or be somewhere where you shouldn't be or do something that you shouldn't do? How is your conscious conscience before God? You're conscious of God when you use your mouth. You're conscious of God when you use your ear gate. Conscious of God when you use your eye gate. What you hear, what you see, how you speak, where you walk and what you do, are you conscious, not just here in a corporate setting of the anointing of the Spirit of God, but are you conscious of God no matter where you are? Does your conscience prick your mind? Is it pricked at times? You say, now that wasn't right. And the Holy Spirit kicks you off, as it were, convicts you of the sin. Are you conscious of God? You know what I've found a lot in church as a pastor? Not necessarily talking about here, but I'm talking about generally. I have found the consciousness of many believers to walk uprightly, to walk honestly. I still believe in living a life in holiness before God. I believe in living a life separate from the world. I believe it with all my heart because Christ saved me in there to bring me out of that, and so since that I have a conscience before God. You're conscious before God when you lift the drink to put it to your mouth. Conscious before God when you want to watch something on the television set that you shouldn't have been watching. Are you conscious before God? Is he so real to you? Is God so real to you? Oh, you see, it's different when the wife doesn't know or the husband doesn't know or someone else doesn't know or the parent doesn't know and they can't see what you're doing or hear what you're saying or look what you're looking at. Are you conscious of God that no matter who's in the room with you, no matter who's in the house with you, no matter who's with you or who isn't with you, that God is always there? Are you conscious? Of God. Are you conscious of Him? Elijah was more conscious of God than he was of Ahab. He could see Ahab with the naked eye. And he couldn't see God who was invisible, but he was more conscious in his heart and in his spirit than he was of Ahab who stood before him. David has all this gathering of men great in Israel around him and he's conscious. 
of God. He gathers himself up. And when he gathers himself up there, he can tell them the word of the Lord. Brother, no matter how weak you're feeling, sister, no matter how terrible you're feeling, gather yourself up. Take the step of faith and gather yourself up. And as you do, he'll give you the strength to stand upon your feet in times like these. And you will be able to give a thus, and a thus saith the Lord, according to the scriptures. Are you conscious of God? Listen to an old Puritan called John Trapp. He said, conscience is God's spy and man's overseer. Conscience is God's spy, man's overseer. You know, there's a lot of, the the world says, you know, what goes on, the old saying, in Vegas stays in Vegas. In other words, the sin and everything that happens there. And listen, in the world, men are like that, women are like that. But brothers and sisters, if you're blood-washed, born-again, child of God, you shan't be like that. You shall not be like that. You cannot be like that. You must have a conscience of God. John Trapp says, Conscience is God's spy and man's overseer. He also called conscience the domestic chaplain. The domestic chaplain. Imagine the pastor on your shoulder. (laughs) Well, if it was him, you'd be in trouble. (laughs) Imagine, sir, the looking at with you all the time. Well, your head pastor, your chief pastor, the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, he walks with you all the time. Conscience before God. Dirty dealing and business. Wiping somebody's eye, as we call it. There's a conscience before God, brother. Have a conscience before God. Notice here, Listen to what William Bates said. As a lamp nearing expiring shines more clearly, so conscience that burned dimly for a time gives a dying blaze and discovers him who is alone able to save or to destroy. Sometimes conscience is pricked and you realize there's a God in heaven that reveals secrets. There's a God in heaven, brother, that reveals secrets. Daniel says these things. There's a God in heaven that reveals your secrets. One old Puritan says, if the best man's sins were written upon his forehead, it would cause him to pull his hat down over his eyes. Am I speaking to someone tonight and you're far away from God? Am I speaking to someone tonight and you've drifted far? Am I speaking to someone tonight and you're not saved? Well, tonight, if you come to Christ, you come by faith to the cross where the precious blood of the Lamb was shed, there's cleansing power in the blood of the Lamb. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. David had a conscience. 
I mentioned this this morning, talking about an old king, sort of twigged in my head. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II was 68 years on the throne on Thursday. 93 years of age she is. Old and yet, boy, she's some energy. Nevertheless, thinking about these things. Turn with me briefly and keep your, your, your hand in First Chronicles there, please. Turn with me briefly to Second Kings 11. Second Kings chapter 11, please. And that's your eye run down, just for time's sake. This is the young king Jehoash, going to be crowned king. And notice what it says in verse 12. And he brought forth the king's son and put the crown upon him and gave him the testimony. And they made, and they made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, God save the king. Didn't I tell you it was in the scriptures? It's actually used other times as well. They put the young king on the throne. God save the king. God save the king. God save the king. They brought Zadok the priest. And he was the anointing with oil. They brought Nathan the prophet. Prophesying the word. You see when the queen was uh, coronated. They give her this diamond. It's the star of Africa, they call it. And it was so big they had to chip it down. And it's the height of bigger than your fist. Maybe two of my fists together now. And it's in the top of that scepter that they hand her. And there it is. And, and that diamond alone, the other diamonds are encrusted a whole way around it. And gold and diamonds all the way through it. And as they're giving her the, these, these uh, ornament relics to, to hold on to, they hand her this scepter. And that diamond alone, the Star of Africa, do you know how much it's worth? 400 million. Just for that diamond alone. But they hand it into her hands. A scepter to rule the kingdom. And they take it out of her hands after handling the orb and, and so on. And they take the word of God. And the Archbishop of Canterbury comes and he places the word of God into her hands. He says, this is the most valuable thing the world affords. Not the star of Africa. And not the crown jewels. And not all the gold and the silver and all the precious stones that are with it. He gives her the King James Bible. And he says, this is the most valuable thing the world affords. And it's still the most valuable thing that the world affords. If you read First Kings, uh, Second Kings 11, you'll read that they crowned them at a pillar, a stone pillar. All the kings were crowned at this pillar. And do you know when the queen is crowned, under that Edwards, King Edward's chair. No, it's an old wooden chair. It's not a big fancy throne. It's a King Edward's chair. There's a stone. And it's called Jacob's Pillar Stone. And she sits upon it. And she's given all of these. The King James Bible. All of this stuff was given to her. They put a curtain around for it was too sacred. And they anoint her with holy oil. You see, the thing about it is, David was called... To be a king. 
And it was mentioned this morning, whether you're a king, a queen, a prince, or a pauper, every one of us will bow the knee to the king of kings at his return. At his return. Notice, David had a conscience before men of God. Want to say it? David had a conscience before men of God. When David was fleeing from his son Absalom, in Psalm 2 and verse 1, he had many a times his conscience couldn't see God. His conscience couldn't sense God. His conscience was consumed by that which was going on around him. His mind was. Psalm 3, pardon me, in verse 1, says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. That's all David can see in Psalm 3. Are you ever in that place and all you can see is your troubles? All you can see is the ones that are against you and the things that are coming against you. And David was the same. For We all lose that consciousness of God sometimes. That faith that wanes at times. Lord, how are they that are increased that, that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Psalm 7 and 1 he writes, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me. He's consumed by it. Psalm 56 and verse 1, when the Philistines took him in Gath, their capital. Listen to what David says. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. David's mind and conscience is swallowed up by the troubles of life. Am I speaking to someone like that tonight? Your mind's not your own. Brother, sister, I want to bring your conscience back to the Lord. He's not only there to oversee us in our ways and our walk, but he's there to say, I am with you always, and I love you. Notice this. David's conscience of God came with his conversations with God. I'm going to say that again. David's conscience of God came with his conversation with God. Have you talked to the Lord today? Did you talk to the Lord this morning? Did you talk to the Lord after your dinner or before your dinner? Before you come out? Have you talked to the Lord today? Conscience of God will come through conversation with God. Because it's there when prayer is answered, you will see, you will know, and you'll understand the nearness of God. The nearness of God. And notice this. Psalm 56 and verse 9. When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. You see, David now with a conscience of God, he knows that God is for him. That God is his God. David's conscience of God not only came with the conversations with God, it gave him confidence in his God. If you're not reading God's word, brother and sister, people say, God doesn't speak to me. I can't hear God's voice. There's there. Pick it up and read it. Everything you need, there is there. And David's conversations in prayer with God 
worshiping the Lord. David's conversations with God. May David have confidence in his God. Notice Proverbs 3 and verse 26 says, For the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. And in Hebrews 10 and verse 35 it says, Cast not away therefore your confidence. Here's the problem. There's many people. Maybe I'm speaking to some here tonight. Maybe watching. And your confidence in the Lord has been shaken. The confidence of your faith has gone. The confidence and the conviction of the Lord's existence. That he is true. That he is real. That he is the living one. Have you cast away your confidence in the Lord? Well, this has happened and that has happened. We looked at David here. This has happened and that has happened. Brother, sister, could I say something? I'm saying it with all uh, the, 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 the pathos in my heart that I can. See, no matter what comes your way, see, no matter what is thrown at you, no matter who stands against you, Your best place is not to run away, but to run to the Lord. Run to the Lord. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous runneth into it, and they are safe. You say, but who's righteous? Those who are in Christ. They are righteous. Cast not away therefore thy confidence, which hath great recompense of the Lord. Conscience. What does it mean? What is it? This is what it was termed as. The moral sense of right and wrong. Conscience affects one's behavior. That's what it was when I looked it up. The moral sense of right and wrong. How do you know right and wrong? You might think something's okay that I don't. And I might think something's all right that you don't. Where is the yardstick for the morality in our nation? Where, what is the yardstick for the morality in the church? What is the yardstick for morality in our society and in our lives? Because nowadays, excuse me if I'm maybe living on another planet, but every time I look somewhere, there's moral degradation everywhere. And every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes, as ancient Israel did. And you're wrong, and then some other sin gets deeper, and it gets darker, and it gets worse. And something else comes along. It used to be two genders, and then there was maybe four, and then there was maybe six, and now there's about a hundred or something. There really is only two. You see how it spins out of control? Because one man and his morality may say, that's okay. And another man and his morality may say, no, it's not. And government says it. And council says it. And politicians say it. Doesn't matter what government, councils, politicians, men in the street, women in the street, your workplace, your home, or anywhere else. It's what that says. It's what this says. What is the yardstick? What is the canon for morality of good or bad? For right or for wrong? What is it? The Word of God is it. The Word of God is it. The Word of God settles it all down. 
It is the most valuable thing this world affords. And so hence when they take it out of college and university, when they take it out of technical colleges, when they take it out of schools, uh, from the young children right up to secondary schools, when they take it out of the council offices, when they take it out of everywhere where prayer meetings were formed, when they take it out of the very councils in our buildings here, when they take it out of it, there's no yardstick. And everything goes wrong. And every sin gets multiplied. And the society gets darker. And our nation falls deeper. And God judges the nation. God is angry at Great Britain tonight. Now you watch this space. Why do you think they can't control the terrorists in London? Why do you think there's so much murder going on in London through young people tragically losing their lives through starvings and gangs? Why do you think Ulster was under attack for 30-odd years? Why do you think that? One, because we stood for righteousness and the devil hated us? Yes, yes, I understand that. But because of morality, God was angry. God was angry. Notice here, If you will, turn with me, please. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles 28 again, please. And while you're looking that up, let me give you a quotation from Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, Unless I am convinced by sacred scripture... Or by evident reason, I cannot recant. Martin Luther said this. I'm going to read it again. Unless I am convinced by sacred scripture or by evident reason, I cannot recant. For my conscience is held captive by the word of God. And to act against conscience is neither right nor safe. And all we are getting today, listen, I was talking to a man not so long ago. I was talking to someone else here about it too. And they were saying, you know, many Roman Catholics are fed up with the Catholic Church. And all the, the base things that they're found to be at. And who can blame them? And so there's a harvest to be found in the Catholic community in Ulster and Ireland. But notice this. I said, yeah. But their next, the Catholic Church's next way in is this. They'll ecumenize the Protestants. That's what they're doing. They'll ecumenize the Protestants. Notice here, Martin Luther says, unless I am convinced by sacred scripture or by evident reason, I cannot recant. Oh, for men that stand that won't recant. King David is old and he stands up in 1 Chronicles 28. And look what it says in verse 2. Then David the king stood up upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people, as for me, I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. 
and had made ready for the building. But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build an house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war, and hast shed blood. Strange, isn't it? God wouldn't have a man after his own heart. He was a man of war, building a house for his name, yet we had put him in the government. David wanted to... Notice this. First Chronicles chapter 28. David wanted to build God a house. Now, note this. David wanted to build God a house. But God refused David's offer. Instead, here's what God replaced it with. Remember I said he gives him something better? Instead, God proposed to build David a house. That's why you get the house of David and the tribe of Judah. I want to build you a house to place your ark where your presence would be, Lord. He says, no, no, you're a man of war, David. I love you, but you can't do it. Your son Solomon's going to do it. David lays up all the wood. All the things, that, all the stone. He starts laying it all up for, the, for his son to be able to build it. And the Lord says, no, no, no. He says, you can't build it. Your son will build it. But I'll build you a house instead. I'll build you a house. And of course, the line of kings and queens came right down through the centuries. Right down to this very day. Notice, if you let your eye run down, to verse 4. High bait. Verse 4, please. High bait, the Lord God of Israel. Notice what David says. Choose me. Choose me. Going to read it again. The Lord God of Israel, choose me. God has a choice, you know that. An electing choice. How be it the Lord God of Israel, chose me before all the house of my father to be king of Israel forever. And he hath chosen Judah, not only my house, but the tribe that I'm from, to be ruler. And of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, I love this. Three words. He liked me. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? The Lord. Wasn't David said, the Lord liked me? Seems nearly infantile. It seems very, you know, it seems very childish nearly. But it shows you the heart that he had for God. It was like the heart of a child. Unless someone is like a little child, they cannot enter the kingdom of God, Jesus said. It doesn't mean you have to act like a child, but it's the heart of believing your father for what he says. He says, the Lord liked me. I try to find it hard to know why the Lord loved me. I don't know if he liked me or not. You know, you can like somebody and not love them. Do you know that? And you can love somebody and not like them too. I know people I love, but I don't like them. <laughs> Come on, you are all the same. You all know that. You all know that's true. And there's times even when there's family members and they're getting on and they're getting on your goat. You love them. They're your family, you love them. But you just don't like them at that point in time. But David said... The Lord chose me. He chose me. And he liked me. He liked me. I thought that was beautiful. And then he says, he made me. 
Not what the Lord does. He chooses. He loves, likes, he makes. Always remember in James chapter 1 and verse 17, James tells us that every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness and neither shadow of turning. Every good gift we have is from him. And even when he's putting aside for the tabernacle, what does he say? Even the things we're building a house for you, it's already yours anyway, Lord. See everything you have, brother. See everything you have, sister. Every, all of us who have an a, a employment, a job, a house, a car, food in the cupboards, clothes in your back, your children, everything else, everything is all from him. All of it is from him. We have something to rejoice in. We have something to be thankful for. Because everything we have is already his. Is already his. David wanted to build God a house. But God said he would build David a house as in a lineage of kings. And when all I could think about this, all I wrote was, now that's grace. That's grace. He didn't deserve it. None of us do. But that is grace. Religion says, do, do, do. That's religion. Do this, do that, do the other. Work, work, work for salvation. Do, do, do. Religion says. But the Lord says, don't. It's done. It's done. It's done. That Christ has paid it all. Will you turn with me to First Chronicles chapter 29 now to our reading? Don't worry, that's the most of, the, the most of it over. That is not my introduction. <laughs> but I'm going to ask you to do something. Will you open your Bible? First Chronicles 29 verse 10. Open your Bible. And if you have the Bible with you, the girls will have it on the screen. Now, next thing I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to stand. Would you stand, please? Let's be conscious we are standing before the living God of Israel. We're standing before the living God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10. Can we read it together? And we read right down to verse 16 together. We're all. Wherefore, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thy Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee, and sojourners. As are all our fathers, our days on the earth 
are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee an house for thy holy name cometh of thine hand, and is all thine own hand. May the Lord bless that reading in this house tonight. Let's take our seats again. Bless the Lord. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? David is old and still blessed the congregation of Israel. When you go home, you read Hebrews chapter 11. And one of the verses, I'll probably get the verse wrong. You can shout it up to me. I think it's about 22, round about there. Jacob is blessing both the sons of Joseph. One is called Ephraim and one is called Manasseh. And he's, he's meant to be dying at this part, but Jacob's a bit of a creaking gate. You know one of those ones that keep hanging on for a while? David was, or Jacob was one of them. He's a bit of a creaking gate, but he takes the two boys. Ephraim was uh, uh, the, the, the younger and Manasseh was the elder. And he crosses his hands like an axe shape and he puts one on each of the other's head to bless them. This is what it says, Hebrews 11, verse 20. Somebody found it yet? Shout it out if you found it. Verse 22, maybe around about that, I think. 2022. And this is what it says anyway. When Jacob was a dying, he blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped by leaning upon the top of his staff. Here's a man looking, facing death, and he actually... Uh, got his hands and he crossed them and he blessed in faith. Blessed in faith that Ephraim would become a, a multitude or a company or the commonwealth of nations. And Manasseh would be a great nation of the earth. And blessing them he blessed. He didn't see it. He died without seeing the promise. And brothers and sisters, listen. Let this encourage you. You may be praying for your children and your grandchildren or for a loved one. You pray in faith. Gather yourself together. Stand up in faith. Gather yourself together and pray for them. Pray over them. And no matter if you go to your grave believing that God will save them. You may not see it. But because you leave this scene of time doesn't mean God does too. He will still work an answered prayer. David blessed, coming to a close. David blessed the congregation of Israel. The word blessed is the word Barak. It gives the idea this time. He stands up in chapter 28. Now, this is an old man. Let's get the, let's draw on this. It gives the idea he gets up old and frail and he goes down to his knees. starts to worship the Lord. Here we find David kneels before God and as he said on Psalm 95 and verse 6, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. David's life is coming to a close. David's life is starting to ebb into the twilight hours. And David gathered himself. And maybe he could no longer stand. 
he goes down to his very knees. And he worships. And he prays over the congregation what we have just read out. What a prayer. How would you go out? You know what they said of John Wesley's converts? It says John Wesley taught them to die well. One of my lifelong friends, and I pray for him because he's not saved. I don't really see him now because we've nothing in common. But we keep in touch the odd time and say hello online. His father died buried yesterday and I went to the funeral. His father and his mother took me to the white we went with him. Church of God when I was a wee boy because he had to go, his mum and dad made him go. So I went with him. Nice to hear Pastor McCall preaching when I was a wee boy in the 70s. Never forgot, especially the appeal. Whoever forgets Pastor McCall's appeals anyway. And this man fell away from God for years. I know how my heart rejoiced to hear five years ago he came back to Christ and he was on fire, redeeming the time for the desert evil. And he died. But I'm told when he died, he died, he lifted up his hands and started blessing the Lord when he was dying. How are you going to die? How will I die? Do we know him? Conscience. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Eh? Be conscious of him. He maketh me to lie down green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. You feel death's grip. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's this same man, David, wrote this. Listen, it's like preaching to you, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And he takes his eyes off the crowd to the God he's conscious of. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Well, I've stayed at many bedsides when people are being launched out into eternity. And I've stayed at unsaved ones. And they have been gruesome. I mean, spiritually gruesome. Launched out with no hope. Without help. Because they're without Christ. Do you know him? Do you know the Lord? I didn't say, is it just a, a prayer you've done? Is it just a walk up an aisle you've done every week? Some people walk up an aisle every week and kneel down and bless them. They, they mean well. But listen, see when you're saved, you're saved. You know you're saved. You might say, I don't know if I'm saved or not. Then make sure you're saved. Make sure you're saved. Make sure you're right with the Savior. See the words here. Maker, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. See the word Maker. You know what it is? It's the word Asa. Listen to what it means. 
to work about something, to work upon something. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord who's working on us. Brother, sister, don't give up. He's still working on you. Kneel before the Lord who's working on me. He's still working on me. Still working on me. He's still working on us. In verse 10 of First Chronicles 29, Yahweh is our father. In verse 11, he's our king. For this says, thine is the kingdom. A kingdom must have a king. In verse 11, again, he's the head. We know he's the head of the church. He's the head of all things. In verse 12, he reigns. In verse 12, again, he's sovereign almighty. In thine hand is power and might. And in verse 13, he has a glorious name. The name which is above every other name. Now, if that little uh, portion of scripture sounds familiar to it, could it be that our Lord Jesus Christ was thinking of this in Matthew chapter 6? Our Father, short in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Could he be thinking of that? David says, but who am I? What's this people? Honestly, brothers and sisters, I say this in reverence and respect to all of us, all of you. We're nothing. I'm going to close with this because I have so much material. I wrote so much in this. It's one of those things you'd be here to midnight. I just got into a flow and I just seen it and the Lord just kept giving it to me. Job says in verse 7 and verse 7, chapter 7 and verse 17, listen to this. What is man that thou shouldest magnify him and that thou, that thou settest him, pardon me, thou settest thine heart upon him? I'm going to pick my new glasses up in the morning, by the way. That's what I can already see. I've seen Rodney and Avenue there during the week and was saying, get my eyes tested. Notice. What is man that thou shouldest magnify him and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him? Now, notice this. This sounds like God sets his heart and Job is magnified. After all, Job's gone through. It's not what it means. I'm going to tell you as I close this. It means Job can't understand why God magnifies. Were you and I visiting him to try him and making so much about him Where you and I, in other words, we say, Lord, why me? Why is this happening to me? Job said the same. But the idea of this is, in a planet, that's a little grain of sand in the universe, among the billions upon billions upon billions of galaxies, a little man, insignificant, Job is saying, Lord, in all of this space, in all of that eternity, in all of it and through all of it, you still know me. Little old me. And in your trial, feel blessed, feel precious, because God knows you. 
even when he tries us. It's a magnification to understand. You know me. That's the idea of this. Psalm 8 says, When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou shouldest visit him? In all of these galaxies, Lord, and David was conscious of it, and he stands up the first one, and he's kneeling down the second one, and he's praying unto God, and he's blessing Israel, and he says, Solomon, my son, will sit upon the throne of the Lord. That's what the throne's called, the throne of the Lord, or the throne of Jehovah, or Yahweh. But who am I? He says, all of our fathers are gone. They're like a, they're like a, a smoke, they says, like a shadow. What James says, for what is thy life? There's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And then vanisheth away. Time goes so fast. So fast. Remember that man who passed away when he was 17 years of age. And I needed a few pounds because my dad wouldn't let me get it. I was a modern and wanted to get the scooter and all, you know. My dad wouldn't let me get one because he near died on a motorbike when he was that age. And I saved up as much as I could and was working away. And that very same man came and he says, here's some, that'll do you, do you get your money? He gave me that money and I bought my scooter and hid it in his back garden. My dad never seen it <laughs> until I broke the news to him gently. But I remember that when I was 17 years of age. When I was 16, I worked in my first job. I hadn't even left school. My, my granny had set me up with an interview. Imagine your granny setting you up with an interview. Like. And I was still at school. I'll tell you this, my thoughts closed. My granny says, they called me Kenneth. Kenneth? There's a man coming to see you. It was a Friday afternoon. A man coming to see you this afternoon at tea time. Your daddy's coming home and you have to be home to see him. I says, who? Man for a better job. I says, Granny, I'm still at school. <laughs> you know, I'm still at school, Granny. She says, well, I just seen it in the paper and I thought I'd apply for you, son. <laughs> it's true. So my dad came in. That's his mother. And I said, Dad, Granny says that uh, I'm going to do an interview here for a man coming this afternoon after tea time. He says, yeah, I heard about that. That's okay. I says, Dad, I'm not left school yet. You'll get a job, son. That's right. You'll get a job. Lo and behold, this man turns up and it's for apprentice upholstery. I couldn't even say it. Never mind, do it. <laughs> so he comes in and I was like, I was quite small. I sprouted quite a bit after school. I was probably about five foot one, maybe two when I left school. Very small. I was built like a pipe cleaner. And I was a wary wee guy, you know. And, and he looked at me and he went, hmm, could you lift a chair? <laughs> so I was offended at that, you know. And my dad says, him lift a chair? You lift a satan his own. <laughs> So he went, uh, he was talking away, getting me interviewed in the living room. 
to a job interview I didn't apply for, for a job I couldn't do because I was still at school. He turns around and he says, when can you start? I says, I'm still at school. My dad says, when do you want him to start? He says, I need him for Monday. This is Friday night. I need him for Monday. He says, he'll be there. So lo and behold, there I was. And I started work. And I wasn't even left school. Left without exams. Nothing to my name. Went back to my school. That's another story. Then I'd done a, a, a wee exam, but it didn't really do too good. Don't want to say anything with the kids here. <laughs> do well at school, kids. So we were upstairs and downstairs, right in the country. Well, it was country then. It's not so much now. And they were downstairs was a petrol tank, uh, fiberglass petrol tank company. We used to have our tea with us. They brought me down five gallon. They gave me this big drum. I don't know, ten gallon, five gallon. I don't know what size it was. Big plastic one. And he sticks one on a kettle. He says, "See me that kettle, boys." I want you to catch that steam. <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this, you know. I want you to catch that steam. Now I'm going, you can't catch steam. So I says to him, you can't catch steam. He says, listen, son, do you think I'm paying you to stand here for nothing? I want you to have that filled with steam when I come back again. I went, I must be able to, okay. So every time the cattle was going off, I was holding the drum over it. And there's nothing in it trying to catch the steam. I can see it leaving the kettle from there to here. The steam, and I'm going, must be getting inside it then. <laughs> For it says we're going to steam the cloth with any marks on it to take it out, you see. And I thought they must be able to do this. So the boss comes down and he says, Well, how are you getting on, can I? And I went, There's nothing in it. And he says, Do you think I'm paying you for nothing? I'm, I'm up here, he says, I'm working away and slaving away up here, trying to make a few bob, and you're down here, he says, and you're, you're lazing about the place. I'm, I'm sure you weren't doing anything at all, and he's getting all this sort of, as if he was angry, and I was like, I really wasn't, I was trying to catch the steam, honestly. Try again, he says, I'll be back in 10 minutes. So he tried, came back in 10 minutes, and obviously there was no steam. I can see the steam leaving the cattle. I thought I had a drum full of steam, but see, it's nothing in it. We labour for everything in life. We strive to be the best there is in life, and that's okay. But our life is like the steam that came from that kettle to the drum and at the end of it you cannot take it with you. You end up with nothing. For what is your life? It is even a vapour. That appears for a little time. Vanisheth away. The old king, his life is expiring. He says, our people are like a shadow. All our fathers are gone. Brothers and sisters, there's many have went on. Many have went on. But it's not them going on, it's where they're going to. And where will you go to?
eternity looms? Where will you be found? Do you know him? Do you know him? Are you saved? May God bless his word tonight. For Jesus' sake. Amen.